now that we have the innovative strategies and we've connected with our community, how do we actually take that momentum and use it to create better lesson plans, to actually help our learners become better travelers and to help ourselves lead more balanced lives? That's exactly what we're diving into on today's episode of A Step Forward. And we are having a special guest, our Clarity Coordinator, Julia Hutchinson. She is absolutely phenomenal and you definitely do not want to miss this. Welcome to A Step Forward, a podcast for ambitious VI specialists who are challenging the status quo. I'm Cassie Maloney, your new work bestie. With over 15 years of experience as an O&M specialist, author, professional development junkie, mom, and owner of Allied Independence, I have been through the ringer. And now I'm here to bring you a boost of inspiration, information, and our favorite innovation as we trade feeling overwhelmed for overjoyed while we create a significant impact in the lives of our learners and still lead more balanced, fulfilling lives. So grab your favorite beverage because we're about to take a step forward. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. I hope that you're having a lovely day. So we just wrapped the Orientation and Mobility Online Symposium for 2024, and it was by far the best one we've ever had and somehow even more chill than we've ever had a symposium before, which was really nice. And now it's time to actually put it to work. And so I wanted to give you this framework that Julia has set up for herself and that she uses within our Clarity membership to help you actually take a step forward. You've already watched the presentations, you've already connected with your community, and now what? How do we actually move forward into becoming a better teacher. This episode originally aired as episode 142, tapping into your creative power as a teacher of students with visual impairments, but all of the things that she talks about are really applicable to orientation and mobility specialists as well. So I wanted to offer this to you as a way for you to hopefully be able to take what you learned from the symposium and turn it into impactful lesson plans. Welcome, Julia, to the podcast. For one, I can't believe you have not been on yet, but <laughs> now that you're here, I would love for our audience to get to know you a little bit more. Would you like to share a little bit about who you are and also what got you interested in our field? Yeah, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me. This is exciting. I've never participated in a podcast before. So first time for me. But yeah, so I'm Julia Hutchinson, Clarity Coordinator. I'm sure you guys have seen some of you have seen me in my newsletters. Um, but yeah, so I became interested in working with the visually impaired actually way, way back when I was actually in 4-H. So I grew up in 4-H clubs and my club's philanthropy was working with individuals with disabilities through hippotherapy. So getting them on horses, getting them interested in riding, helping them, accommodating them based on their needs. And one of the individuals that I was assigned to work with, with my horse, was actually um, completely blind and he also had an orthopedic impairment. And just thinking, even at the young age of like eight or nine, like how can I make this more accessible and more fun for this gentleman so that he's really getting something out of it? Um, that kind of sparked my interest in working with individuals who are blind and working with individuals um, with disabilities. And I kind of just let it taper off through high school, didn't really think about it. And then I was floating through college my freshman year at Florida State University, go Knowles, had to do the shout out. Um, and this gentleman, Mickey D'Amelio, he's an O&M in our field, 
he had approached my friend's nursing program and was like, hey, if you guys aren't interested in becoming nurses, but you still want to work one-on-one -on -one with individuals, help them succeed, we have this awesome visual disabilities program, come check it out. Well, I heard that through my friend and it was just like an instant feeling. It was like a gut reaction that I knew this was like my calling. Um, I don't know if that sounds corny or not, but it's the truth. And so I went and I met with the um, advisor of the program and within five minutes, I just knew to my core, this is what I was meant to do. So graduated with my master's, um, O&M and TVI, and I've been working ever since. So I've been practicing in the field professionally since 2015. That's so exciting. So can you think about how many things had to fall into place throughout your right. whole life to get to that moment? Right. And I, w I never saw it coming. I never saw it coming. I thought I was going to be like an event planner or something in business and nothing was really feeling right. And that once I heard about that program, it felt so right. I knew immediately that that's what I was meant to do. And I'm just so grateful that all of those things fell into place to lead me here. Yeah. Isn't it? I think life in general is like that. I mean, I have goosebumps. <laughs> you have not ever talked about this before. We did know that we went to the same school. Which right. Very, very, very proud Knowles. And to think how few universities have that full university TVI experience. It's not like going to school for business or going to school for event planning or going to school for nutrition. There are only a certain number of schools that have programs that will take you from undergrad all the way through your master's and actually to the world without you already having to have a certificate or be teaching and all that jazz. So the fact that it may not have worked for your friends, but it worked for you and it got right. the word out. How cool is that? So cool. It's so cool. What, you know, just like the, the oddest ways of recruitment can work. I'm kind of a poster child for that. I, I would have never heard. I would have never heard of the program had it because it's so small, you know, had it not been for my friend just thinking this guy was like trying to take her away, steal her from her program, which is just so funny. And it's very Mickey um, and he would own it. So I can say it. But yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. It's been it's been an awesome experience. Yeah. Okay. So you graduated in 2015 and you graduated as a TBI and O&M combined. Yep. Yep. Here's where I apologize. I actually graduated in 2014. I started working in January, 2015. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so here's where like our paths, we went to the same school, but we chose different paths throughout this, you know, throughout our career where I ended up moving and only doing O&M and my TVI degree, it just kind of sits there and I like go poke at my emergency certificate every time that I want it. And I don't know if it's even possible now, but I would definitely need a lot more professional development to, to keep teaching though. It's changed so much. Where did you end up teaching your first year? Yep. So again, all the stars align, right? So my internship for my TVI, my bachelor's internship, I completed that in Colorado because another FSU alum had heard that this uh, undergrad was out looking to be placed somewhere with mountains. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to be out in the mountains. And her story was kind of similar to mine. And so when um, my advisor did like the all call, is there anybody who would be willing to supervise this student? Um, she answered the call. And so I did my internship in Colorado, immediately fell in love with the place, fell in love with my department, fell in love with my administrators, my students, everything. 
So I go back, I'm getting my master's degree. My supervisor, who's now one of my very best friends, calls me up and she's like, hey, I have a family emergency. I need to move back to Michigan for a couple of years. Would you like your caseload back? Would you like to be hired on full-time in our district once you graduate? So literally she had to leave and then I got hired on and I got all of my same students that I had on my internship. I got them all back for my first year of teaching. And that's what really gives me chills is the fact that that happened. Like I have known those students for so long now. Um, and I still, you know, even though I live in Oregon now, I'm still connected with them and their families. And so I started teaching in Colorado and I taught there for about six years and now I'm in Oregon and I've been teaching here for two years two plus years oh my gosh how cool is I know I know all the stars have aligned in the most beautiful ways right I'm so lucky and I feel it every day like I'm so lucky to have had that experience oh have you ever heard I think I talk about this a lot like you know after you cross a river and that's the only time that you can look back and see how the stones were actually aligned to get you across the river. But as you're going through it, you're like, uh, I guess I'll jump over here. Right. Go there. Because if you had gone to another school, not FSU, you would have never had those friends. You would have never met Mickey. You would have never been in this program. You would have never had that gut feeling. Had you, you know, joined a different club other than 4-H, same, you would have just never had these experiences and for all of it to feel so aligned for you, I think that shines through and I didn't even know it. You and I have been working together for, I don't even know how long now. And every time that you share lesson plans or ask me a question, you have an idea for what you're going to do for clarity or you know, one of your workshops, I'm always amazed at how creative and how much it seems to just flow for you. I love, 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 love that. And I'm so grateful that we brought you on our team. And I wonder if that's like, why you can be so creative because it all is like, this is what you're meant to be doing. Right. And I think that's definitely part of it. I also just think that I don't know how to state it, but like now that I know and like now that I can see the rocks and the river and I know what path I've been led on, it just everything kind of clicks. Like there's like this moment of like build up where I'm just like, gosh, what should I do? And then I just think about how like, well, I didn't know what I was doing before. <laughs> it still worked out. So you know what? Let me just try this for our students. Let me just see for our teachers and for our O&Ms like if this would make sense. And then it's like suddenly I'm on the last rock and I've turned around and it's like, oh man, this does make sense. Like I did make this work. Um, so yeah, I would say it's partially creativity, but it's also me just kind of, I, I live by the idea of like throw things at the wall and see what sticks and whatever sticks is meant to be. So that's kind of how I approach my lesson plans and my workshops too. And I think whatever sticks is what you actually turn in because I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want to see first draft. I promise you that. <laughs> There. I wrote the lesson plans for years too. <laughs> right. That's like we're like, I don't know where I'm going with this, but right. it's cool. And I've done something like this before, or I've done this exact lesson plan before. But how do I get that lesson plan that I've done and make it for a wider audience, but for one student? It's tricky. It's tricky business. I have memories of sitting down and being like, okay, I'm gonna turn on my creative juices. Right. 
we'll come back to clarity in a little bit. So for those of you guys who may be wondering why we're bringing up clarity or what this even is, it's our professional development club where we offer lesson plans and a full workshop every single month. Julia is now in charge of it. She has so much creativity and I want to kind of dive into how you get so creative, because that's one of the things that I love about you. Can you bring me back to that first year? And I want to ask you about the challenges that you faced, although you walked into a caseload that you knew and admins that loved you and you already had friends and you were already used to all of their systems, which a lot of first year teachers have to overcome all of those issues. I'm sure you still had challenges. Can you tell me about at least one of those challenges that you had? Absolutely. So I would say, thinking back all those years ago, I was not prepared for the diversity of one, the age range and grade levels of my students, but also their goals. So I walked into IEPs that had been pre-written by a phenomenal TBI, somebody who took the time to truly investigate every single area of the expanded core curriculum. She was not just a compensatory skills gal. She looked at every aspect of student need and she wrote goals to them. Beautiful. Love it. Now that I'm in like an aged TBI, if you will, I do that too. But walking into it as like a first year, having to think about how I'm going to address this goal and keep it interesting for an entire IEP year while also building on skills for something, you know, as independent living skills, assistive technology, all of these things that each one of my students had. Students with multiple impairments had career development goals. Students who were in kindergarten had independent living skills goals. And they're all these different age ranges and they're all these different abilities. And I'm attacking every single area of the expanded core curriculum. It was just so diverse and dynamic that taking the time to investigate my students, build that rapport, and then work on those skills inside and outside of a school setting was incredibly challenging to start. Of course, now I love it, but oh my gosh, back then it was just like, you know, as a first year or second or third year, honestly, if we're keeping it real, those first three years when you're just looking over reports and you're looking over IEPs, you know, the, the wheels start turning, but sometimes there looks like it, like you don't really know where to start. And so that was definitely one of my greatest challenges as a first year TBI. I can totally see that. And if she wrote goals for multiple areas of the ECC, but you only have a certain amount of time, she was probably seasoned in blending it all together. Right. But we don't really get taught that at university or really any program as to how to blend them all together and how to make your time, your limited, precious, beautiful, direct instructional time worth it while also not overwhelming your students. Absolutely. Absolutely. And especially too, like when I was first starting, you know, and I, and I keep this mindset when we talk about clarity too, and what I'm developing for the community, but it was very hard for me to figure out how to blend these domains, right? Because they're so precious and perfect and how they can stand alone that it's like, okay, I have an hour with my first grader, Johnny. He has six various goals that are all, you know, addressing something very different, very unique to him. 
and I'm thinking this in my first year, how in the world am I going to do this in an hour with this kiddo? Like, how can I make this happen? And um, now, you know, there's tons of strategies and tricks that we can implement to do that. And I'm grateful to have learned them. But yeah, first starting out, it's that mindset of, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, this is too much. This is overwhelming. And, and, you know, you feel so siloed, like you're the only person in the world who can, who can help your student with this because you're the professional who's been taught and trained in these areas. And so, you know, it, it can welcome a feeling of isolation and a feeling of apprehension and being overwhelmed, but you know, you learn and you grow yeah. and you get better at it. <laughs> How did you grow Okay, let me let me bring this back. I'm going to ask you how you grew and share a little story that shows a little bit of relatability because while you were a TBI and you were itinerant, I was an O&M at a residential school. So I had so much support, but I remember feeling the exact same mm-hmm. way that you just described. And as you were talking, I had this memory of this seasoned teacher coming up to me and she was like, why is this student have this much IEP time or this little IEP time? Typically this level of student with this visual impairment gets X amount of time. And I was like, deer in headlights, you know, like, I don't know. They came in with it. Like I'm not the expert. And then you have to change everybody's goals because they weren't written for a residential setting. They were written right. for a school. And I did not know the difference because I never taught in a school setting. So I felt the exact same way. Just this overwhelm of how am I going to do this? What is this going to look like? How am I supposed to tackle all of this? And where do we even go next? Okay. So totally. how did you overcome that? So my philosophy on teaching, I developed it in my master's program, has always been for my students, high yet reasonable expectations yield high results. And so I flipped the script and I put that onus on me that I have to have reasonable expectations for myself when looking at these goals, but they still yet have to be high in that I know I can do this. I'm one of those people that it's like, if you know the teacher before me can do this and she wrote these goals. I can figure out a way to do this too. So I'm big into research and I say research both textbook wise and also researching my students. Like I didn't care if my admin was mad that for the first week that I saw my kids, all we were doing was building rapport. All I was doing was getting to know them, getting to know their interests, getting to know what they like, what they don't like, what their day looks like, what their week looks like inside and outside of school. After I did all of that research on their end, while also researching how to better blend various areas of the expanded core curriculum, I used what I knew about the student to develop lessons that hit on at least three to four goal areas. So, and I would bring it back to them like, okay, if I have a student who's like obsessed with Minecraft, how can I integrate his assistive tech goal, his career development goal and his independent living skills goal? Well, I'm gonna start by bringing Minecraft to the table, integrating all of my lessons with that so that I have student buy-in one. And so that two, I know that if I can just fixate my brain on like, one interest of his, everything else for me just kind of falls into place with strategies and instruction and everything, practice, all of that so that I can make sure that I'm hitting the goals, but I'm also developing that rapport with my student. I don't know if that especially, if that does a good job of answering your question, but just researching, researching the kids and researching the domain areas and then blending them all together. 
Yeah, that makes complete sense. Okay. You mentioned that you bring in aspects of what that student likes for buy-in. And that seems really creative, but it's bound. It's not like as though you're going out and just like doing whatever. You have a structure in place. You have the research that says, okay, these are best practices. So I kind of think about creativity, at least for my creativity, it works better if I know that I have like this specific field. I can go run, jump, play, practice cartwheels, whatever. But if you just put me in a field with no fencing, then I will just sit there and I don't know which way to go. I overthink. It's kind of like you have too many choices. Totally. And there's so much that you can do. So you narrow it down by taking two aspects, best practices and also their interests to help make your lesson plans creative. That's kind of what I hear. Is that? Yep. And then I should follow up to that. I just love a theme. I'm one of those people, if I can find a theme in something, I can spin whatever I need to, to fit that theme. So thankfully, in our area of the expanded core curriculum, we have these lovely themes integrated in each domain area. But I also, yeah, I take the theme of my student, or I take the theme of what might fit based on like an interest they have and fit it with those other areas. That's definitely, that helps to guide my process a lot as well. So that's kind of my fence, if you will, for my field is like, I have, that's the third part of it. I have interests, I have domain areas, and then I have a theme that I can stick to as well. Oh, so what do you mean about theme? Can you share a little bit more? Well, an easy, an easy one is of course, like if we just think about like months and what our students are going to be doing or what the expect, or like student field trips are a great theme. So if I have, if I have Johnny and I know that he's about to go to a petting zoo, um, where he'll probably interact with some animals he's never played with before. But I also know that Johnny loves Minecraft. It's like, okay, so I can utilize his goals. I can work on, you know, career development, talking about the kinds of workers you would see at a farm, talking about um, how you're going to get to the farm, what kind of work that is, how all of these things that go into like a petting zoo or a farm. But then I integrate you know, sensory efficiency skills or whatever it might be with checking up all of these animals and researching them ahead of time and pre-teaching all of the concepts that go into the animals. Now, Johnny, since you've done all of this, let's compare them to the animals that you find in your Minecraft. How are they the same? How are they different? So it's kind of just, you know, knowing the student, having, you know, whatever the theme might be, it could be something as simple as like this unit or this week's conversation in class is all about maps or they're looking at, you know, the Civil War and South versus the North. You know, all I need is like one tiny little thing to help me to understand how I can pre-teach and then follow up with best practice based specifically on my students' goals, if that makes sense. Yes, that makes complete sense. My first year contracting, I had this one student who refused, refused, refused to work with me. He had RP and it really only came out at night mm -hmm. and he lived deep in the country off one like his high school was literally off of well the parking lot was a dirt road and then like it was literally off a highway and we were not allowed to leave and it took me so long to get him to work with me or to use a cane because the only time I could have him was during PE and everybody mm. was outside right 
Right. And it was like big Texas title one, division one, whatever school where football ran everything and everybody was involved in football. And I had class with him outside during that time. So he was not having it until we found a love of rap music together. And we would listen to like not appropriate rap music (laughs) out out there on the football field. And eventually, because I was able to incorporate that aspect and show that I cared about what he cared about and I could incorporate that. And it's not as cool as your Minecraft story, which if you just made that up, girl. No, I'm not a video gamer at all. And of course, all of my like third and fourth grade students are like so into it. So yeah, I had to do some research on that. But no, that's a true story. (laughs) Minecraft is great because it has so many aspects of our regular life embedded into it. And you can make everything out of literally like cardboard or hard cardstock. You're like, okay, here's this block. Here's that block. Here's this block. I love it. Okay, going back to your creativity a little bit, now that you've been doing this for so long and you have your framework really for your own creativity, can you talk to me a little bit about how you use that creativity and those pillars for your framework when you're creating the lesson plans for our Clarity members? Like what goes into your thought process and you do such a great job of making them work for everybody. How do you do that? It's something that I always stressed out about. And I only did O&M ones and you have the whole gamut. So yeah, I hold myself extremely accountable when it comes to making sure that these lesson plans can be used in one way or another for every single student you could possibly think of. And with that, yes, definitely comes a creative mindset. But it's also just, I am lucky enough in my profession to have gotten to work with students who were, uh, you know, super low, nonverbal, weren't able to use limbs, to students who are now getting their master's degree in college. So what I do is I basically look back on the students I've had, like the very, very, very high ones, all the way to the, you know, very lower cognitive or, um, you know, multiply impaired kiddos. And I challenge myself to think, all right, if my unit or if my theme for this month is self-advocacy, how can I make a lesson plan around self-advocacy that a college-bound student would benefit from, but also a student who maybe is only trying to speak or look at a yes and no card for themselves? What does that look like with regard to a lesson plan? With my lesson plans and clarity, especially I just want there to be something that the teachers can pull from. Maybe they're not using the entire lesson plan, the exact way it's structured, but I want them to have like an ignited idea that they see in there that they can then take and utilize and alter maybe a little bit with each of their kids. So really what I'm trying to do in my creative mindset is think about every kiddo that needs that information. Every student should be allowed to advocate for themselves, should be encouraged to advocate for themselves. So when I'm thinking about how a teacher can help to facilitate that, 
I start with just like the very basic, like I need help, you know, like the, if the lesson plan, if the only big thing we're getting out of it is a student is saying, I need help. How can I arrange that to a student who's older, who's like very, very self-aware to a student who's maybe just learning about themselves or has their whole life to this point only been told what to do. Um, so I just try to take one theme or one idea and then address it in a way that would make sense for each student. I don't know if that's a good answer, but that's kind of just how I start it. And then, of course, I just want it to be fun and I want buy in from students when I'm creating these lesson plans. I hate I call it adding like you're just adding a student like you're just throwing all of this information at them. And it's kind of just like, well, receive it or don't. I don't believe in that. I think that's a waste of everybody's time. So I'm trying really, really hard to develop lesson plans that I know students will in one way or another have buy in with. And I always I take the time. Our lesson plans are structured in that at the end. It talks about how can this lesson plan be utilized for a student who's higher? And another one is how can this lesson plan be utilized for a student who maybe has some cognitive challenges or is multiply impaired? And honestly, that's kind of where I start. And then I go through and create the lesson plan for our kind of like middle of the road, you know, average typical kiddos. But I start with the how can I make this super duper high and, you know, more complex and how can I make it more simplistic and more of like a task analysis or more supported? And then I fill in the rest, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And since our lesson plans are designed to be able to be downloaded and used within five minutes, that is our goal. Yeah. And it does make it hard because you want it to go to everybody, but really you're pulling off memories from one specific student and what you've done in the past and then making it work for maybe a different level of student. And trust me, I've been there. So one of the things that I love about Clarity is not only are there 250 lesson plans in there and there's a search function in the portal. So if you have an idea for a lesson, you don't have to scroll through them all. You literally, I just go search it. That's all that I do. And then I still like to this day, I use the lessons, especially when I'm having one of those days where I'm like, oh my God, I just got out of this IEP meeting. It ran 30 minutes late. I didn't have time to plan. I didn't have time to do da da da. And I am scavenger hunted out. We have done so many scavenger hunts. There's only so many more that we can do. And it's only October. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. So many. And you have those lesson plans. We all do that. We just like pull out and we use every single time, but it's really fun to see how we can take what's actually happening right now in the learner's days and lives and incorporate a theme with it and really run with it and be a little bit more creative without using more creative energy on like the teacher's part. So I think honestly that your lesson plans really hit the mark with that. And I love being able literally to have them in my back pocket with my data, with everything else that I'm doing. It's just, it's on my phone. I have the Kajabi app on my phone. So I literally just click into the Kajabi app and I download whatever I want and I download the materials and then I ask somebody at a school to print them and I email it off to them. And I'm like, okay, good. Like, here we are. This is what we right. got. And I, I absolutely love that. And it's really because of your creative process. And I've gotten to watch from behind the scenes, your creative process get even better and better as you connect with everybody in Clarity. And I think I speak for Clarity members that you're doing a fantastic job. And we absolutely love having you and your fresh ideas and your fresh perspectives. You're amazing. 
Thank you. And I do want to say too, like with regard to my creative process with the lesson plans, I think because I was thwarted into this world of like address as much as you can by doing the least amount of work. Like, and I don't mean that in like, don't do anything, but I mean, like, keep it simple, you know, utilize a lesson plan that maybe you think is only going to address cane skills. But what I challenge myself to do with these lesson plans is, okay, so we're addressing cane skills, sure. But what else can we still be doing? What else can we be hitting on within this cane skill lesson plan? The possibilities are endless. So for that, I love the search engine that Clarity has, because I develop lessons, and I'll put concepts in there that Maybe you wouldn't think by just reading the title of the lesson is embedded in that lesson plan, but it absolutely is. I'm constantly thinking, how can I make this a worthwhile experience, not only for the TVIs and O&Ms utilizing the lesson plan, but for the students receiving the lesson? I don't want it to be one-dimensional. I want to be able to integrate as many strategies and as many um, ECC areas as possible. So I would even challenge if you're just TVI or you're just O&M, don't skip over the ones that read like it's just for TVIs and just for O&Ms. I promise you, I am making a point to try to address as many concepts as possible in these lessons. Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really even thought about that. The lesson plan that you did about patterns and cane skills is so applicable for my elementary kid who cane skills can be really boring. And he's constantly like, what's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? What's next? <laughs> And me, I just want to be like, who has not gotten you tested for ADHD? Like, who do I right. around here? <laughs> At the same time, he's like gifted ADHD and it could not care less about my ideas about Kate, just like just working on cane skills because it's so boring to him. But working on patterns <laughs> and working in other areas and having a reason to go somewhere, you know. All of that is so much more fun for him and so much more engaging, which I just absolutely love. We are going to wrap up, but first I'm going to ask you our question, a step forward, right? The whole point is you don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. So if you could give one piece of advice to our community to help them take a step forward in becoming a better TBI or O&M or dual or AT or whatever, however they're in this field, what would you say? Do not let yourself become isolated. Reach out, collaborate with people you wouldn't expect would be helpful people outside of your field, you know, talk with everybody in the school. Everybody can help you to be a better teacher and everybody can help you to support your students. Do not let yourself stay siloed. There's a world of community out there at your fingertips that you might not even know exists, but they are there. They're ready to learn from you. They're ready to support you. They're ready to teach you whether they know it or not. You have a team around you constantly. Utilize those individuals. Utilize those professionals. Bounce ideas off of them. See what they're thinking is cool. See what they don't know about our field. Fill them in and vice versa. You know, we're not PE teachers, but boy, do we need the help from PE teachers. Don't let yourself just be the TBI who goes to that school once or twice a week and then leaves. Develop a community. Reach out. Develop teams going to help you so much in the long run, not only to be better for your students, but just to be a better professional. I highly recommend that you make it known who you are and make it known that you welcome opportunities for help and collaboration. So that would be my pointer. 
Oh, that is beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing your creative ways. I thoroughly enjoy learning from you. And I'm just so glad that I personally get to work with you and get to know you as a person because I value you so much. Oh, thank you so much. That means the world to me. It's been so fun. It's been so fun working with you and working for Clarity. And I'm just constantly thinking of new ideas and how I can help to push us all forward, take steps forward. So I really appreciate you uh, working with me too. It's been a lot of fun. And thanks for having me on. It's my first podcast. First time. <laughs> I'm so excited to hear all about your creative process. And I didn't even know you had a formula. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Bye. Thank you so much, Cassie. Bye. Isn't Julia amazing? So you might know that in a few weeks, we're going to be offering our Clarity membership only to the people who signed up for the International Orientation and Mobility Online Symposium. If you're interested in having Julia write your lesson plans for you, which I highly recommend, especially if you want to step into a more balanced life, definitely check out the information and see if Clarity is right for you. It will only be open for a few short days, so you want to hop on this as soon as possible. And if you're not a member of Clarity yet, or if you're not a part of the International O&M Online Symposium, and you want to become a Clarity member, just send me a DM on Instagram or Facebook at Allied Independence, and we will get you hooked up.